0: All right, if you would, if you have a copy of the Confession, you can go ahead and turn over uh, to paragraph number six of chapter 16, chapter 16 entitled of Good Works, paragraph number six, and as we look at this particular paragraph, uh, we're going to be dealing this morning with the principle of the acceptance of the believer's works, the acceptance of the believers works when we deal with the terminology of acceptance we of course are dealing with uh, that which is received that which is acknowledged that which we realize is acceptable to God this acceptance that the confession writers speak of in paragraph six notice how they carefully worded this paragraph six of chapter sixteen Yet notwithstanding the persons of believers being accepted through Christ, their good works also are accepted in him. Not as though they were in this life wholly unblameable and unreprovable in God's sight, but that he, looking upon them in his Son, is pleased to accept and reward that which is sincere, although accompanied with many weaknesses and imperfections." So when we think about this paragraph, you'll notice that there are a number of different uh, footnoted scripture references. We're going to deal with those as we go through the study this morning, but you'll see that Ephesians 1:6, 1, 1 Peter 2, verse 5, Matthew 25, verses 21 and 23, and then Hebrews 6:10 are those that are being mentioned as footnoted in this particular Uh, Paragraph. So remember, we're talking about acceptance. We're talking about what is it that God accepts as good works. Now, we've spent a number of weeks already defining what good works are, how good works um, are not things that we can just simply generate or uh, make up in our mind. But they are the good works in which God actually receives. So this today deals with why does God accept these works at all? And this paragraph and the scriptures that follow will give us the reality that the only reason any good work that we do is accepted is because God the Father accepts them through His Son. They are made acceptable through the Son. Uh, We still are not able to stand on our own ground and say, God accepts my good works alone. My works are being accepted because they are in fact being accepted through Christ. And not just in a, uh, a type way or not just in an illustrative way, but actually being accepted by the Father because they're being accepted through the Son. And we dealt with that a couple weeks ago. That is because we still are sinners. We're sinners saved by grace. But we also understand that uh, we can have the wrong motives. Uh, we can have the wrong desires. Uh, we can think we're doing a good work or doing something of service to God, But remember, our motives can be jaded. Our motives can be tainted with the reality of what maybe we hope to accomplish from that good work. So this morning, really, this paragraph, as all these paragraphs do, really give glory to Christ. And they give glory to his work. You'll notice there's words uh, accepted through Christ, accepted in him, uh, not as though they were in This life wholly unblameable and unreprovable, that's that's our uh, acceptability. Uh, God, of course, is not blamed and God is not reprovable, but we are. But because he looks at those in the sun, now we see he's pleased to accept and to reward that which is sincere. And of course, we've talked about the weaknesses and the imperfections uh, that we still have. So let's let's kind of just outline these as we go. So three main, main ideas in our study this morning is that the believer's works as their persons are accepted only in Jesus Christ. So remember, the only reason we're accepted by God is because it's in and through Christ. So our good works must also be received and accepted the same way. They must be in and through Jesus Christ alone. So we're setting that as that perfect understanding or standard of what is there. Number two, believers works are not accepted because of any blamelessness in them. So it's not being accepted because God looks at us and say you are now without blame or that you are without fault or you without trouble. He's, he, is, he is accepting them because of point one, which is they are accepted only in Jesus Christ. Now, some would can be convinced that maybe that, that doesn't sound too good. Uh, but this is this is a glorious truth is that if we are in christ and these good works that are the evidence of the fruit of the spirit are being done then there is acceptance with god and there's acceptance with god because they're through christ i don't have to wander to and fro wondering is god accepting my good work because the good work's been done through christ himself and we know that christ is accepted by the father So number three, believers' works are accepted because God loves His Son and sees them in Jesus Christ. Primarily, remember the love the Father has for the Son. The love the Father has for the Son. And that continues to answer the questions, why would God love us? Well, of course, He loves us through His Son. So all glory and all the praise goes to Christ alone. So remember that we learned even in paragraph five, Uh, Back in the very first part of that, it says, we cannot by our best works merit pardon of sin or eternal life at the hand of God. Remember, we talked about the disproportion between us and the glory to come, that infinite distance between God and ourselves. Okay, that is that distance is so great. It is so grand. uh, There is no way we can make up that distance on our own. Okay, it's that gulf that's between us and God. So kind of begin to explain and then we'll start looking at the, the text here. Uh, Based on the teaching of paragraph 5, some may be tempted to conclude that the good works of believers are worthless and there is no point in doing them. That is simply not the truth. Uh, Because some would say, okay, if I can't do anything good, then why do it? Remember, good works are the evidence of something that's already taken place in you. They're the results of saving faith. The works are not being done in order to attain saving faith. Saving faith is already present. And because it's already present, there's going to be a natural outflow of those good works. Uh, remember, we even, we even talked about the, uh, the, the, the sad doctrine of the, the, the uh, Catholic Church belief of the supererogation, that they could build up enough merit and so much merit that they can share with somebody else, uh, that, that, that their merit is so high and so grand that they've reached such a place of righteousness that they can, they can give you some or, as the Catholic Church had done many, many years ago, could even sell those indulgences they're referred to. Uh, So we have to keep in mind that God is in no way saying that good works are worthless. He's saying that good works that are done just in the merit and the motive of the sinner are not going to be accepted to God if that's all they are. Sincerity is not the only answer and sincerity is not the only reason or the way we should think that God has to take what we offer. Uh, Some people think that's it. Well, I'm sincere. So is that what God requires? Sincerity? No, He doesn't require sincerity. Now you can be sincerely wrong, pardon the cliche, you can be sincerely wrong about what you believe is actually acceptable to God. So the good works of believers are pleasing to God because he accepts them for the sake of the Lord Jesus Christ, their great high priest. So the first passage is Hebrews 13, and of course we're studying through the book of Hebrews uh, during our Sunday morning worship time. Uh, but this particular passage makes mention of the offering of the sacrifice of praise and the command to do good. Uh, remember, we, we can't escape here saying, well, I don't, I don't have to do anything good because my good is of no value. But notice what, what the writer of Hebrews is mentioning here. Hebrews 13, uh, let's go ahead and begin in uh, verse 15. It says, "...by him therefore..." let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name, but to do good and to communicate, forget not. For with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. We are to communicate to others the necessity of these good deeds and doing good and sacrifices to God. Uh, We're to communicate these things. We are to talk about these things. Uh, We're not depending upon the merit of our doing good or our good deeds, but we are depending upon the merit of he whose deeds are always good and perfect, which is the Lord Jesus Christ. We're relying upon his deeds and his good works, what he has done. God is well pleased with the merits and the work of his son. Christ himself said, I always please the father. That means any work that's done through the spirit and through Jesus Christ, God is going to be pleased with. So it's communicated there in a way that helps us to see that these are to be the characteristics of the believer. Philippians chapter four verse eighteen. The apostle Paul, as he writes to the church at Philippi, of course, you know he's he is writing uh, from a prison cell, and he's writing with these great truths. He's reminded the church at Philippi to uh, to not be discouraged because of his imprisonment, to not be uh, discouraged or defeated because he's in captivity. Remember, he makes that glorious statement that all this has happened to me for the furtherance of the gospel. That's that's the essence of why this is happening. But in Philippians 4, verse 17, he says, Not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. But I have all and abound. I am full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well pleasing to God. A sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable unto God. Uh, this is not a sacrifice of atonement uh, because the only one who can make a sacrifice for an atonement or an atoning sacrifice is Jesus Christ himself. So he's not talking about a sacrifice of some, somehow atoning for sin, but it's a sacrifice of acknowledging the acceptability of who God is. It is in fact acceptable to God. It is the fruit of the grace that's in them. Paul, I think all of us would say, he demonstrated the fruits of the Spirit by his life, would we not? Now, prior to his conversion, all that Paul thought he was doing as good works, remember Paul at one time thought it was a good thing to persecute and kill all the people who were of that way. Christians were referred to of people of that way. Paul legitimately in his mind, his eyes thought, it's a good thing if we take out these people. And yet, after his conversion, Paul's life is a clear demonstration of good works. What kind of good works did we see in Paul's life? Some people say, what, what could we look at that's a pattern of some good, good works in a person's life? Look at the Apostle Paul. Look where his good works were focused upon. Look at what he was doing. Here's this man who's chained in a prison cell, and yet he's writing under the inspiration of the Spirit, and he's encouraging believers when he had every reason in the world to be downcast and defeated. Remember, good works are not always these tangible things in which we can grab onto. Uh, They are things that they are the result of what is being done, the grace that is in us. Paul, and if you didn't notice this, Paul says that this, this, what these things which were sent from you, look again, an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. Paul doesn't say it might be acceptable to God. He said this will be acceptable to God. That's pretty confident. He's not confident in himself, but he's confident that this is the result, this sweet smelling savor, this, this, uh, this, the fruit that's coming from you. And then Paul, of course, assures them with oftentimes people run right to this verse, and it's a great verse, but they don't consider the context in which Paul said this, but my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Now unto God and our Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. All these things were to be done and were being done for the glory of God. They were being done through, in and through Jesus Christ. Now it's important because we have a societal question we're going to deal with at the end and it might stir a little bit of a It might poke the hornet's nest, we'll see. But I want us to think about this because we need to understand why our works are being accepted in the first place. And that they're being accepted because of Christ. So he is referred to because he accepts them for the sake of the Lord Jesus, their great high priest. 1 Peter 2, verses 1 through 5. Peter writing about uh, this in principle as well. 1 Peter 2, verses 1 through 5. Again, remember, we're talking about this acceptance. Verse 1 of chapter 2 of 1 Peter. Wherefore, laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envies and all evil speakings, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word, that ye may grow thereby, if so be, ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious. Now, Paul had tasted the grace of God. Paul is not writing from a perspective of saying, "Here's what I've heard the grace of God tastes like." And of course, he's not talking about actual tasting on the tongue. We get that. But he's, he's talking about, this is, this is actually an argument from his own experience. I have personally tasted that the Lord's grace is within me. I've personally tasted it. Do you realize you cannot make somebody taste the grace of God who has not experienced it personally? You could give a glowing testimony to how good God's grace has been in your life. You could give a glowing testimony to how good he's been to your family and you should But you will never, a person will never understand what the grace of God really tastes like until they experience it for themselves. That's what Paul is talking about here. There's no question that he had tasted the goodness and the grace of God. And Paul is reminding them just how gracious God is to his people. Why is God so good? Because he is good himself. And remember, our societal definition of good is a watered down version of what God calls good. Good scripturally is perfection. It's not, hey, this is under great or excellent as if it's some kind of a a, a, a subservient to great. His goodness, he is good because he's God. How has he been good to us? Think about what he has given to us miserable sinners. He's allowed us unworthy to taste this grace, to taste of this grace and to taste of it freely. And because we've tasted of that grace, he's also now those good works are living in and through us. We understand that when we think about it from a perspective of tasting the goodness of God, you realize that even in this life, we do not fully have a full understanding of what this grace really is eternally. This is just a picture. This is a foretaste of glory divine, the old hymn says. It's a foretaste. It's something that we're experiencing now, but you and I fully don't understand how all of this is really going to end when we see him and how we understand who he is. The Lord is gracious to whom coming as unto a living stone, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious. Ye also, as lively stones, are built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by yourself. No, by Jesus Christ. Acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. That is the key to the entirety of this. Christ, as that great high priest, who is the intercessor between us and the Father. The only reason we can get to the Father is through the Son. The only way a good work can be accepted to God is if it's given through the Son. Again, is the standard my sincerity or is the standard Christ's righteousness and his merit? It's the latter. My sincerity, I can be very sincere. I can be very sincere in a religious manner. I can be very sincere in a church manner. I can be very sincere in a lot of things, but that's not the standard. The sincerity, yes, I think is going to be there because we wanna please God, but we also have to understand that uh, this being acceptable, acceptable to God is by Jesus Christ. So what what does sincerity really mean? Well, sincerity means that if we are truly and sincerely Christians, then we have a principle of spiritual life that has been communicated to us that is not going to be able to be restrained. This idea that we can be converted and go on living with no change in our life just does not line up scripturally. There has to be a change because inwardly something has changed in us. And if you've truly tasted of the grace of God, there's no way we can keep on just doing what we were doing before we knew him. And so Paul, that perfect illustration I think in many ways of here's what I was before I tasted the grace of God and here's what it was after God's grace. Here's what now happened. So we see these these great principles. So the Lord Jesus Christ presents believers, including their good works, holy, and blameless in God's sight. And remember, it's he who is presenting us based upon his righteousness to the Father. In other words, we couldn't stand there in any good work without his merit. His merit is the reason we can stand. In Jude 24 and 25, now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory and exceeding joy, to the only wise God our Savior be glory and majesty, dominion and power both now and forever. Think about this. It is God who is all to get all the glory. Why? Because it is he who is able and maybe more importantly, or as important, is willing to keep us from falling. There's something about a God who's able, but there's something about a God who's able and willing. A God who's not only able to save me, but is willing to save me, and is able and willing to keep me from falling. To be presented faultless before the presence of his glory. Now this principle, I think there's, I think there's been times when I have said... I I grasp this concept of being faultless in God's presence. But let me challenge you and ask ask you the question. Do you think we really fully comprehend what it means when we know about ourselves what we know? How in the world can we be presented faultless in the presence of God? Based upon what you did yesterday, what you did yesterday, is it not amazing that you can stand in the presence of God faultless, it doesn't make any sense to the human mind how can i who had that wicked thought said that wicked thing viewed at that viewed that wicked thing i shouldn't have viewed all of these things are just evidences of how we cannot offer anything acceptable to god apart from christ the glory of the lord is still what we're truly seeing as something we're looking upon as something that's still in the distance but it's not uncertain a lot of people think about the glory of God and they say yeah 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 but I'm not really sure about what it is I'm not really sure what to think about it we do know that Revelation 1 7 says about God about Christ specifically every eye shall see him now what a day that's going to be To actually see him. These believers who are truly in Christ will be presented and be accepted by the Father, including their works, based upon the acceptance that God the Father has for the Son. That's why you're being accepted. Now folks, it's not by coincidence, and it's not by accident, that the great word, the great buzzword of society, revolves around acceptance. Acceptance. It's not by chance that that's the big buzzwords in our society. You say, well, there's a lot more bigger buzzwords than that. But do you know at the heart of all of them, there's this principle of being accepted. Do you know what the sinner really wants? They want to be accepted as they are. Do you know why the church and many churches have watered down their standard and says, we just accept you the way you are. It sounds very inviting, but there is no way you can have tasted of the grace of God and remain the same, and you would never want to say, well, I'm glad you accept me as I am because I don't want to have to change. But ultimately, that's what the sinner wants. Ultimately, we want God to accept us and our merit and our goodness because we still struggle with the reality, is there really anything good within us? Or is all my goodness and my acceptance with God based upon the acceptance of the Son? To be presented faultless, notice how he says this, with exceeding joy. Now, is this our joy? Is this God the Father's joy? Is this Christ's joy? But here's one thing. That presence to be presented blameless and faultless will actually be a picture of what perfect joy is. As joyous and joyful as you are in this life, you have never experienced, nor have I ever experienced perfect joy. Your joy is jaded by something. It's affected by something. That's why some days you wake up and you're joyful, joyful, we adore thee. The next day you can't even say the word joyful. It's not perfected. It's still your nature, and it's still not perfected yet. But there's going to be not only perfect holiness, but perfect joy. Surely a God who can present you this way and keep you from falling can certainly produce these things in our life. So we understand that it is God, therefore, who receives them and is pleased with them for the sake of Christ. The works themselves are stained with weakness and sin, as we learned in paragraph 5. So the good works of believers are accepted on account of the fact that they themselves are accepted in and through Jesus Christ. Now remember what the Apostle Paul, we'll pick up the pace just a little bit, uh, what the Apostle Paul said in the book of Ephesians, verses 5 through 7. We'll start there in verses 3, and he's, he's reminding the church at Ephesus about the blessings that they have not in... wherein He hath made us accepted in the Beloved, in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of His grace. And notice, wherein He hath made us accepted. Now, there's a lot we could say about this text, but for our study this morning, we're dealing with this acceptance. We are to live to the praise and the glory of His grace. This means we are to behave and live in a way that the grace of God that we have experientially tasted will be evidenced through us. We know it's all of God. We We know it's all from Him. We know it's all through Him. And therefore, all must be given to Him. Everything I do should be for the glory of God. I mean, people want to know what's God's will for my life. You're to live for the glory of God every single moment of every day. That is my, that's my driving principle. How do I glorify God today? There's no way, shape, or form that God is saying, you don't have to worry about doing good work. You don't have to worry about doing anything because I don't accept them. That's not what he's saying at all. He's saying, but when you've, been t- when you've tasted the grace of God... There is going to be this real desire to live for the glory of God. And it's not manufactured and made up. These principles that I think Paul wrote about, remember, Paul wrote because he had experienced this. He could confidently say, brethren, your good works, if done through the Spirit and according to Christ's acceptance, will be acceptable to God. So the good works of believers are not only accepted, but rewarded. Now here's where we start getting into this. All right, should I really be doing anything for the reward? Uh, Churches have gone through these times, these ebbs and flows, where there seems to be an emphasis on we do good works to get rewarded. Then it goes through a flow that says, no, you shouldn't do good works to get rewarded. And it it goes back and forth. But notice what Paul says about this principle of the reward. What is the reward, actually? There in verse 1 of of chapter 4 of Romans. What shall we say then that Abraham our father, as pertaining to the flesh, hath found? For if Abraham were justified by works, he hath whereof to glory. Now let's stop there. So he says, if it has in fact been found that Abraham, our father. Now, remember, Paul speaking to a group of, of no doubt, Jewish believers there, he's identifying Abraham as our father. And he's introducing this concept that if our father, as pertaining to the flesh, what did he find? If Abraham were justified by works, then here's what would happen. He would find something to glory in of himself. But notice what Paul clearly says. But not before God. There's the key, but not before God. And isn't that where acceptance ultimately matters? It is not about you accepting my good works. It's not about me accepting your good works. It's are my works. And in the case of this, just, if Abraham was justified by works, it's the whole concept, heaven forbid or God forbid, that would be the case. Because if it was, then Abraham could glory in his works that saved him. For what sayeth the scripture? Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Now, to him that worketh is the reward, not reckoned of grace, but of debt. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. Even as David also describeth the blessedness of the man, unto whom God imputeth righteousness without work, saying, Blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven, and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. Let that sink in. Cometh this blessedness then upon the circumcision only, or upon the uncircumcision also? For for we say that faith was reckoned to Abraham for righteousness. So again, this reward, even the reward in which we get, the reward of these works is the reward of grace. So God graciously and kindly responds to our efforts. Okay, there's nowhere that you're not supposed to make an effort. This idea that sometimes is wrongly ascribed to us is that we just sit and wait until God moves us. No, you should be looking for those opportunities and taking advantage of those opportunities to do good works. You should be looking for those opportunities to encourage the brethren. You should be looking for those opportunities to do these works. But understand that he responds to our efforts to please him even though they are defective because he looks upon us in Christ. There are times my good work is going to be defective because of the reality of who I am still. I am still a sinner saved by grace. Matthew 25, I think we dealt with this a couple of weeks ago, so I'm just going to touch on this again. But Matthew 25, verses 21 through 23, this was the, 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 the parable of the talents. And I just want to read beginning there in verse 21. His Lord said unto him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things, I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. He also that had received two talents came and said, Lord, thou deliverest unto me two talents. Behold, I have gained two other talents beside them. His Lord said unto him, Well done, good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. Then he which had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew thee that thou art a hard man. Reaping where thou hast not sown, and gathering where thou hast not strawed. And I was afraid, and went and hid thy talent in the earth. Lo, there thou hast, that is thine. His Lord answered and said unto him, Thou wicked and slothful servant. Thou knewest that I reap where I sowed not, and gather where I have not strawed. Thou oughtest therefore to have put my money to the exchangers, and then at my coming I should have received mine with usury. Take therefore... The talent from him, and give it unto him which hath ten talents. For unto every one that hath shall be given, and he shall have abundance. But from him that hath not shall be taken away even that which he hath. And cast ye the unprofitable servant into outer darkness, there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So we see even the grace of the Lord mentioning here about these things being received. Good and faithful servant we are to use those works. And then Hebrews 6.10. Hebrews 6.10. For God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love, which ye have showed toward his name in that ye have ministered to the saints and do minister. And we desire that every one of you do show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope unto the end, that ye be not slothful, but followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises. The writer goes on to give the example of Abraham. For when God made promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no greater, he swore by himself, saying, Surely bless, and I will bless thee in multiplying, I will multiply thee. So you have these principles of these works, why they're accepted, they're accepted in Christ. We're certainly not exhausting every one of these verses and all the expounding we can do on them, but we get the principle of what the confession writers had in mind. So it is important to remember that God will still test the good works of believers. Now this is where we've all, depending on how your upbringing has been, and again, this is not meant to insult in any way, shape, or form. I'm just sharing with you how this was taught to me, that this appearance before the the judgment seat of God, um, how that was going to go. This is the way I was taught from a very small child. I was taught from a very small child that when that day came for the believer to stand, that I'm gonna stand before God and over the right shoulder of Jesus Christ on the throne is gonna be a giant movie screen, And on that giant movie screen, everything is gonna play through my entire life. It's gonna be like on an endless video loop. At that time, it wasn't streaming, there was no streaming, but that my life would be up on a big screen and that everybody would be standing there watching everything that I had done. And that I would stand there and I would either be proud of what was on that screen or I would be embarrassed by what's on that screen. Now I will tell you with 100% certainty. If you put on that screen everything that I've done, if that was true, if you put everything up on that screen in front of me, in front of anybody else, there's nothing but embarrassment on that screen. Because you're not going to be able to point anything I've done good and of myself that's acceptable. It's all going to be embarrassing. Because (laughs) I know, I know me better than you know me. And more importantly, God knows me much better than I even know myself. And I remember living in absolute fear of that, thinking, okay, I've added another reel to my review player that's going to go on. Now, I'm not saying we're not supposed to be worried about it. But what's really going on here? What's Paul talking about? In 1 Corinthians 3, and again, we, it, it's... It's, it's almost a disservice to not take the whole passage because we, we leave so many things out. But in verse 12, it says, Now if any man build upon this foundation, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest for the day shall declare it because it shall be revealed by fire and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide, which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. And then what appears to be, again, I'm just kind of talking out loud. The next verse, in it's just plain reading it through, doesn't seem to go along with what he just said. Maybe that's just me. He says, know ye not that you are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you? And then he goes on and talks about the temple of God. He says, if any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy, for the temple of God is holy, which temple ye are. And let no man deceive himself. If any man among you seemeth to be wise in this world, let him become a fool that he may be wise. I get the idea, the concept here, that this, this, this connection between our work abiding, there, there's coming a day, When there will be an an ability that will be distinguished between one man's work and another. The fire is going to reveal what was really there. But the principle of living as the temple of God. Not living as a temple of God, but the temple of God which is in you. The actual presence of God that is dwelling in us actually is going to have direct effect. Some believers will suffer some loss of rewards, although they themselves will still be saved. It's therefore important for believers to study the scriptures to know how to please the Lord. So again, this is not, well, I, I don't know how to do this. I shouldn't seek after it. I should want to know what is pleasing to God and what is displeasing to God. Romans 12, verses 1 and 2, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies A living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Acceptable. That's the great end of everything we labor after, is to be acceptable to God. That's why it's important even in our church to ask, is this acceptable to God? Not does this feel right to us, but is it acceptable to God? Because there's a lot of things that feel right to us that may not be acceptable. And that's very difficult to distinguish, especially if all of our humanity gets in the way of our thinking. So acceptability is the great end. And this reasonable service really just speaks of God is not imposing anything upon us that's unreasonable. You know, some of the modern church today is God's word is just harsh. It's unforgiving. It's relentless. And to serve God is like serving this slave master, taskmaster. And it's just he, he drives me so hard. Listen, it ought to be a joy to want to serve God. If, if serving God feels like you're, it's drudgery, there may be something wrong in, in, in the, the faith in which you're proclaiming. Because this, this is not drudgery. This is glorious that God even gives us the privilege and the opportunity to be able to say and to live for Him. Again, there's a lot more things we could say about this, but uh, let's, just, let's just try to remember that these, these good works, uh, they are accepted because they are accepted in Christ. Now, a couple just quick questions. We may not be able to completely get through these.